I want to get straight to what I have in my heart for you today, and some of it I've already prepared you with, but I would like for you, if I can start with a scripture. Normally, I don't. I like to speak a while and then put the scripture in, but I'm going to start with a scripture, and I want to go, if you would, Second Corinthians 4, three verses, uh, chapter 4, Second Corinthians, or as Donald Trump calls it, 2 Corinthians. For 13 through 16, I believe and therefore I have spoken. And boy, I think that's a great way to say something. I believe it, therefore I'm going to say it. I want my mouth to reflect my conscience. Uh, some great philosopher, good, bad, or ugly, I don't know, and most of them are ugly. I've seen their pictures in history. But whichever one said it, it was an atheist, and he said, if I were a Christian and believed what Christians say they believe, I couldn't sleep day or night until I had... I had given every last ounce of my being to keep people from going to the place they call hell. And I want to tell you something. If you believe it, therefore speak it. And we also believe, and we therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, now, he's speaking from a ministerial point of view, from a pulpit to the pew. All things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, rebound to the glory of God. In other words, before you go thanking me or thanking pastor or thanking anybody, we always want to make sure we give our thanks to God. Amen? Let's, let's keep things in order here. The chain of command is very important. For which cause we faint not. That's an important thing. This is the cause we don't turn from. Ladies and gentlemen, there's not one of us in this room that aren't challenged in any given day, at any given time, to forsake what we know to be the truth and turn to what would be an easy road. But that road leads to destruction. For this cause we faint not, but through our outward, that, that even though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day, which leads me to tell you, don't get old. Thus I command thee from the Lord. Don't get old. You say, well, Dave, come on. This is a real world. Be real. I am being real. You just heard it from the word of God. Our outward man may perish. It'll get old. But not the inward man. It's renewed every day. At one second past midnight, his mercies and his grace are all over again. Start brand fresh and new. It's kind of like playing golf. I don't count the hole. I just go by one hole at a time. And if it's under 72 for one hole, I've succeeded. I'm not a good golfer, but I love to play. I'm not a good preacher, but I love to try. There's a lot of things I'm not the best at in the eyes of men, but I'm going to tell you something. This old body has been racked up pretty bad. Yeah, 60 surgeries and everyone I'm hurt. And I'm only talking about the ones they put me to sleep on. And my body is devastated. I could show you, but then I have to kill you, so I won't show you. But I'm mutilated. My body is, it's not just a little hand here. It started there. With a sniper's bullet through the back of my hand, detonated a grenade six inches from my right ear. There it is. I'm part plastic. My ear, I, and I don't mind because they actually made me a nose two years ago. Y'all were with, uh, you've walked through this with me. I came here right after my big surgery, and I got a nose, and I'm so proud of it. It's a boy. It's just, <laughs> I think it's so cute. I just love this little guy. And, and I got eyelids, and I got lips back, and I, didn't, I don't drool like I used to. And I, what am I telling you? The, they, Humpty had a big fall, but they're trying to get him back together again. All of these king's horses and all these king's men, they're already working hard at this. But they'll never succeed because the outward man will perish. But I'm going to tell you something about the inner Dave. 
The Dave on the inside of all this junk, that Dave does not have a scar. He does not live in pain. And they're working their best, but on that resurrection morning, I'm gonna tell you what my spirit will reflect, be reflected in my body. Humpty will be back. Humpty will be back in style. And I'm telling you that because how do you put age on something that's eternal? If it has no end, then it really has no beginning. Well, you know, how can you put age on something that has no ending? So, yes, our bodies will struggle. But there are times along the way in the struggle of life that our body will dictate to our spirit instead of allowing our spirit to dictate to our body. When our body takes command from the spirit, our body, well, that's what John was saying to Gaius. I pray that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth and is in health. So if you have a healthy soul, you should have a healthy body and to the best of ability. And I, I don't think he prayed that as a commandment because if that were true, a lot of people would drop dead because their soul is dead and their, their spirit's dead, their body would be dead. But I pray for health for everybody, yes. But I want my spirit to outshine my body. If, does that make any sense? I don't know how else to say it. I want the soul of Dave to be the food that I can provide to a hungry generation. It's called soul food. And I reach out to the youngsters. My, my average audience is about 19 years old. And I speak to millions of 19-year-old average audience. Millions. On any given year, there's no telling how many folks I'll reach. And it's not because I'm good, bad. It's probably because I'm ugly. But it helps. And I use everything the devil used against me, I use it against him. He hit me with a stick on July 26, 1969, on the border with Cambodia in the jungle of Vietnam. He took a stick and he beat me halfway to, to hell. I mean, it hurt. My body was set on fire, mutilated, and would never be the same again. And he took that stick and beat me with it. Then he made his near-fatal error. He threw down the stick and walked away laughing. Well, he shouldn't have, Norton have done that. He threw down the stick that I picked up. And the stick he used against me, I used to help get me back on my feet. Then I raised, when I stood on my feet, I raised that stick over my head and said, Devil, you come back here. This war's not over. And with the same stick he beat me, I'm beating him all over the face of this earth. Get a stick and hit the devil. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit because it hurt. Because on the other side of pain is pleasure. On the other side of hurt is healing. And it's always there if we'll just stay the course. And that's my encouragement to you. I can go on. I've got more verses that I'd like to share with you on this subject. And, and I don't know why it was the letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians that were so important to me. But they all talk about, uh, they talk about restoration is what it is. He talks a lot about restoration and comfort those that are comfortless and uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story first of something that happened and I wanted to set the precedent for what these scriptures are going to refer back to I was walking along the the Atlantic coastline literally on the beach outside of uh, Kitty Hawk where the first flight took place and uh, it was there at the uh, they, they call it the outer the outer rock stones, whatever, outer banks of North Carolina. And I was walking, it started to mist, and I was with a friend that I was mentoring at the time. And uh, I said, let's duck in there. There's a little gazebo there, and we, we ducked in there to keep from getting soaked. And as we sat down, there was a plaque on the Atlantic side of that little gazebo, a brass plaque, and it said something of this order, 300 yards from where you sit, 
lie the remains in 30 feet of water of the USS Huron. It was, com it was commanded by Commander Ryan of the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis. And it was the last of the Ironside steam, first steam engine, but the last of the combined uh, sails and steam engine. And so it goes back many years, as you understand. And it was en route from New York Harbor to Cuba, which was way before Castro, and to do naval exercise with uh, hundreds of Marines on board. Now, I don't remember the exact number. And as I sat there, I, you couldn't see that remains of that ship out there. Yet it was only in 30 feet of water. I don't know how high this roof is. It's going to be probably more than 30 feet. And, and for a ship to be in water in this cavity of space, there wasn't much left of the ship. It's, of course, the masts were all gone. But the lesson is to be learned. And it wasn't enough to see it on that plaque. I went down to the library there in Kitty Hawk, and I, I checked out the book on the USS Huron. And here's the rest of the story, Paul Harvey. Here's what happened. On Friday, before they sailed, the stars were hidden by bad weather. Navigation by the sextant was not easily to be achieved. On Thursday night, before the Friday sailing, the captain of that ship went AWOL. He dreamed during the night that the ship would come up on hard times and it, people would perish. And the morning he was to set sail, he didn't show up. And in scrambling to find someone to guide that ship down to Cuba, they selected their best choice. Commander Ryan, who was the naval, admin, uh, naval professor uh, at Annapolis, and he taught navigation. He's a good man to have. He can get there without a sextant. He has a compass. He has experience. So he took off. When all the signals of the flags were saying, don't go, high winds, storm in the Atlantic, but I can make it. I can do it. I, I. And he really believed he could pull this off. And the arrogance of mankind is usually the weight of the anchor that pulls him down. And he, he launches. And as they're traveling, it gets worse. The waves are there. And he's keeping his course south. And he's trusting that compass. But when he gets down by the Outer Banks of North Carolina, he looks over, and in the darkness, he hears the splashing and barely see the white foam, and he's hoping the sound of those crashing waves is off his hull, but in fact, it's off those rocks. And when he realizes he's now impossible to steer away, those that survived the coming moments recorded forever his last words. And these were the words recorded by the commander who perished with the USS Huron along with hundreds of, of military. My God, how did we get here? So they did forensic work to find out why that ship ended up on the rocks of the Outer Banks of North Carolina. You know what they found? The compass, the compass was off one degree. You know, from point of origin, you can start with a little bit of a problem. But the further you go and you don't correct that problem, the more that is exponentially increased with distance and time. When they left, you could not have the best compass in the world tell them they were going the wrong direction. They were going south. But the further they went, that azimuth became more and more defined. 
and that one degree pull them westward in their southern route and pull them into the rocks of the Outer Banks. My God, how do we get here? Here's the point, folks. You can start with a little compromise, but the further down the road you go with that little compromise, the more difficult it will become. Fifty years ago, this hand was blown apart. They put it back together, and the best they could, and I took what was left, and I learned to play the piano with this pathetic hand and no thumb over here, which I remember the first lessons I took in piano. They told me they, I would never learn to play because I didn't use my thumbs. <laughs> well, that, I guess it's all right because I learned to play without them before I ever lost them. And I was so privileged to be a play. But, you know, the time passes and little by little by little the contractions of those old scars that could not be healed without additional surgery got where my hand was so curled up about a year ago I found out I just I just can't hit my notes anymore my fingers won't stretch as far as they used to and it took corrective surgery and now it's too late they don't think I'll ever be able to play the piano again and it breaks my heart I don't have to be good I gave my gift as good as I could of playing the piano to Christ. That was my gift back to him. And now it's been stolen. Stolen. Because time will take that as it'll take that difference. It'll take that one degree and turn it into a, a 90 degree error if you don't correct it as you go. You gotta correct it. You gotta be corrected. Don't don't turn against those that have the authority to correct you and correct you wisely. Receive it. And step into it with faith, believing that that's the best, best decision for that moment. And so I'm, I'm really wanting to tell you, how do we get here as a nation? It was just a little thing, but it goes back to something really big that you should know. And I, I kind of tested it out on Pastor before service. He actually said I should use it, and I, I was planning on it anyway. <laughs> Thanks for the, Thank you for the authority. But I, I, I started studying... How do, we, how do we as a nation start out to be one nation under God indivisible to end up one nation free from God and divisible, divided? And uh, when political parties announce they're the party of the non-religious or a political ideology uh, believes that we can survive human sacrifice or cannibalism, no, in all of human history, no culture has ever survived uh, their leadership or their culture to include cannibalism or human sacrifice. No nation on earth has sacrificed more than we have in our children through abortion. And we think it's just a small thing. It's only a baby. But that's what Jesus said. Don't deny that child. Let the children come to me. And I'm going to tell you something. We're in for the ride of our life, and, and we, we've never been under more duress than I think we are since the 1960s during the introduction of the drug culture, the Jesus culture, as it was called, uh, the assassination of a president, of a black religious man of God that was uh, an activist for human rights and, and uh, the rights of our black people in our nation. I want to tell you something. Our country was at great risk. The Cuban Missile Crisis, all these things going on, the war in Vietnam, we were at the very, very brink of total, total anarchy in America. We're that close again. We're right there today, and it's been building for several decades. And I'm going to say to you today, how did we get here? It's not by accident. 
How did we get here? We were off one degree and had no idea that that little bit, that little change, that little thought would develop into a, a, an absolute conclave for the enemy to hide in. We have come to the point that without Jesus, we are doomed. That's the answer, plain and simple. Without Christ, we're doomed. Is it too late for a nation to turn around? I cannot speak for that. I do not know. I will tell you, if we've ever been at the point of no return, we're there at it. Have we crossed it? I don't know. What is the point of no return? If you're flying an airplane, at the point that your fuel is exhausted, beyond the point of you being able to fly back without crashing for lack of fuel, if you go past that halfway tank, and we'll call it that halfway mark in your tank, if you go beyond that, you can't get back. We're at the halfway, and can we get back to where we, God wanted us? I don't know. And I'm going to illustrate it for you. When the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock, first thing they did was build a chapel. And then they built a community around the church. And they came here for the freedom to do just exactly that, and they could build the church of their choice. We were, at that point, centrally directed from the Word of God. It was the center of the community. The church was the, it was the pivot point. Everything else was built around. But as time went along, when you drive through the great state of Texas, our little country communities, and you can leave the state to any state you want, you'll find that the center of town is now the center of human judgment. They're called courthouses. The courthouse square. That courthouse sits in the middle of every community. Every now and then you may find a church somewhere down there, and it's usually a monument or a memorial to what used to be, and that's exactly the case in Washington, D.C. When the church was the center of the thought of a nation, when God was first, when Jesus and his principles and his laws and his life were espoused, that nation flourished. But when we took God out and put man's law in, from that point, the church was pushed to the outer banks. And there's where we have had calamity after calamity. We lost our sex. We're not, we're not governed by the heavens anymore. We are governed by man's opinion. We have people sitting in what's called a Supreme Court. It's divided. The whole nation is divided. It's almost exactly 50-50. I don't know how you can be divided any more than we are today. And here's my challenge to you. Which side do you want to come down on? Now, I'm not talking political. I'm talking about Moral compass. If it's off one degree, you'll end up in the same position this country's in. Your house will be divided. Your mind is divided. A divided eye is a, an eye of doom. A single eye, that means you have one purpose in life and you don't divulge, uh, you, don't, you don't diverge from that commitment to that righteous cause. You will not fail. You will succeed. And here's the day that we live in. Today we have men sitting in justice. Make, and women, making laws that we can justify our own sin by. We can justify our sin by the laws of man that are legal. Legal sin. And if abortion is, what part of the baby is supposed to be born alive or dead before you can call it a legal abortion? How much of the body has to be stripped naked to call it nudity and pornography. At where, what point do you draw the line? I'm going to tell you, you don't draw the line after the fact, you draw it, draw it before the fact. 
You drop before you get to that place of having to make a decision of a fine air. Look at the book of Ruth. The judgment of God came upon a family of Elimelech who was so, he, Elimelech, the man of God, he was the priest of that house. He was so tired of the conditions of him wanting to have that freedom, that legal sin, that he went to a place called Moab, which is referring back to incest, the sin of incest. Went there to look for happiness, and his entire life was lost. He and his two boys were all killed. They died of a disease, probably a sexually transmitted one, because the women were not affected, but the men all died. And I want to ask you a question. How did they get there? If you look back, it says, in the days when the judges ruled. The first words of the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. It wasn't physical. It wasn't food. I went back and studied Jewish history. At no time at that point in Jewish history was there a physical famine. They were in the land of plenty, the land of bread, Bethlehem, Judah, the land of plenty. What was the... What was the missing ingredient? The spirit of God directing the conscience of man. And when we push God out and let a group of people sit in judgment over our own God-given conscience, we have surrendered to a lesser God. We are there. We have surrendered to political parties, to political ideals. We have surrendered to man's idea of what's good, bad, or ugly. And we've pushed God out of the center of the community. And I'm going to tell you, Bethesda, I compliment you. And for God's sake, don't move one inch outside of Interstate 820. You stay in the middle of this city. You stay in the middle of this community and be the voice and the conscience of a living God to a dying nation. Do you agree with me? I want some support. Hang in here, church. And I'm going to tell you, it starts with the heart, but the mind and heart are synonymous. The soul, mind, and heart really are synonymous. And we speak of what is the heart, what's in the heart. Uh, Coming over our discussion this morning was out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, One of our dear pastor friends, Robert Morris, made a statement the other day. That Kathy brought up to us in the car. It's out of the abundance. That's the more than enough that we allow to pass out through our mouths. That thing that, that overrides all other things comes out of our mouth. It's the abundance that comes out of the abundance. If, I, if that makes sense to you, understand what I'm trying to tell you. What do you have as the ultimate? What, what is your... The, everything is on the basis of... Suffering for something and the reward for the suffering. That's what life is. Supply and demand. That's everything boils down to that. What is your demand and what is your supply to that demand? Whatever you want the most in life is what you're going to pursue. And if you're hot to pursue the Almighty, if you put him first and foremost, the abundance of your heart will take you to the abundant living and the abundance more than enough through Christ. Amen? But I want to talk to you on a personal level. This is Dave. I can tell you today, I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to understand it's very true. I am proud of my scars and stripes for my country. I wear my purple heart with a lot of, not arrogance, but people have asked me, 
What does that Purple Heart mean to you? Well, first of all, for 34 years, I didn't have it. None of the medals that I had achieved that I didn't even know I had achieved, and there's some of them very, very significant. I'm not going to get into it, but I'm going to tell you, if I'd known they were coming, I would have demanded them. <laughs> I just didn't know they were there. But 34 years after I was injured, our state senator wanted to know why my name kept showing up in the Star-Telegram of being with the troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. She wanted to know what's a Fort Worth man doing downrange with our troops working for Central Command. So they did an investigation and found out that I wasn't dead yet. All these years, I could have been drawing life insurance. 34 years, I never got my medals because no one found out that I wasn't dead. Now, they knew in the hospital I wasn't dead, but that was a totally different, that's a medical record, not a service record. I was on a, they didn't give me money for my injury. They were preparing me for insurance, for $10,000 insurance payment for my life to my wife, Brenda. And I had not received a single paycheck for I can't tell you how long. I was in the hospital a year and two months. I didn't get any pay because I was dead, I guess. This was what they thought. But they knew there was a Dave Reaver in that hospital, but there was a different scale of acknowledgement of existence for getting paid than for getting blood transfusions. And 34 years later, SEAL Team 1 out of California shows up in Fort Worth, Texas with the highest ranking prisoner of war, General Robinson Reisner and another Air Force General, uh, General Bob Meserly, and they pinned all these awards on me, and when they put the Purple Heart on me, I was standing there thinking, what would have been different if 34 years before I'd gotten these medals? And you know what my answer was? Probably nothing. <laughs> nothing. Those medals didn't make me a better man. They didn't make me a stronger man. They didn't give my health back. They didn't take away my scars. But you know what it did? For the first time in 34 years, after all that suffering for all those years, my country said, thank you, Dave. Thank you. One of the things that Paul wrote to the Romans was because they were not grateful or thankful and because they gave not God glory, he turned them over to reprobate mind. And I'm going to tell you something. There's something to being thankful. The first words of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus was not, oh God, I beg you, raise him from the dead. No, it's Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you that you hear me when I pray. If we as a nation forget to be thankful, the perversions that we have brought upon ourselves are well deserved. And I say, God, reverse this curse turn our heart again as a nation. Bring us back to putting you in the center of our community because our community is a reflection of our lives and our lives are a reflection of our conscience and our conscience without God is doomed. We're done for our nation's done without returning. So today, as we know, the fuse has been relit. How many fuses can be lit before finally the bomb goes off? We know that there's great upheaval again in the Middle East. And it was, it, we were going to get it one way or another, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who's in the White House. It, it, the resolution of the conflict will not happen by man. 
because it is not a physical war. And I sat with the highest ranking army soldier on the planet for the United States Army. I sat with the chief of staff of the U.S. Army. And he said to me, knowing that I work for DOD as a contractor in the area of resiliency training, and I'm the spiritual component for that training. That is an assignment by my country, which is one of the greatest opportunities i ever had in my life. And I'm saying that he knows that. And he says to me, this war is not spiritual. This is a war of weaponry and soldier against, uh, against insurgent. And we can win this war. He knew exactly what I believed. And he's still, to this day, one of my best friends. I actually spoke with him at the Fort Worth Club a couple years ago, the downtown Fort Worth Club, which I've never been back. It's the only time I've ever been there. It was interesting. You don't know who's in charge of this city. <laughs> you need to go down there sometime. And I want to tell you, when he said that, he looked at me and the look in his eye. The Bible says, thy countenance doth betray thee. When he looked at me, he knew. He knew. This isn't about insurgents and U.S. warriors. This is about Isaac and Ishmael. And the number one producer of pornography in the whole world is the United States of America. And adultery was the beginning of the worst battle that has ever been found on this planet. The longest lasting will not be resolved till Armageddon. And I'm going to tell you today, without Jesus, we can fight with every weapon we can produce and absolutely fail. But when we turn our heart back to God, our warriors are brought to their knees first before God. They'll never bow to an enemy. And I'm here to say I'm proud of my scars and stripes, but my best weapon was never an M16. It was a John 3:16, And that's the weapon I fight with today. And I still believe some of our best ministers are yet to come because we're training them. Through Operation Warrior Reconnect, we're producing preachers. And I'm telling you, we've got some out there that use their experience like I have all these years. And when you mentor, it's like stamping something with your own image. And I'm, I've been very privileged to raise up a host of young men and women that go into public schools and go into churches and go into civic organizations all over America with a story profound, true, about Jesus being the difference in success and failure. And I believe that out of tragedy comes triumph. We're at a point of our greatest tragedy, but when sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Let's believe God for a great outpouring in the last days. And if we can lead the world in technology, we can lead the world in spirituality. And that isn't astronomy, or astrology rather. That is leaning on the everlasting arms of God. And so today, I'm, I'm going to tell you that on July the 26th, 1969, within hours, I was in surgery, and I'm still going through those surgeries. But this closing remark, I hope, will, let me make sure what time it is here. Oh, my, I'm already over a little bit. I, I, and he didn't tell me when to quit, but I like to be careful because some of you have a roast that's already on fire in your oven. <laughs> so you can offer a burnt offering to your family shortly. <laughs> But uh, one day at our, at our community, uh, at our home out here in this community, we, we, Ben and I live about six miles from here, I think. And uh, we had a TV studio out there at the time. It was our first studio. It was small, but it was very, very good. We produced for 18 years television for Trinity Broadcasting from that studio to uh, trucks and everything on the road. It was really a beginning. And Pat Titzers was my general manager at the time. Actually, he wasn't yet general manager, but he was part of that production. 
And he had been picking on my guitar that I was going to use for uh, part of the presentation. And he was sitting on the floor with his legs crossed, picking on the guitar. So he put the guitar behind him. And when he stood up, the blood, you know how it rushes to your feet and you get woozy. And he, he almost fell and he stepped back and stepped right on my favorite guitar. Broke that sucker right in half. I mean, the neck came clear off the body. And he looked and he picked it up and here's the body of that thing hanging on six strings. And he said, Dave, I'm so sorry. I can't believe what I just, I said, Pat, it's all right. He said, it's not all right. That's your favorite guitar. I said, no, it's not. (laughs) Not now. (laughs) (laughs) He would not stop apologizing. He kept on and on. He was mortified. And finally, I'd heard all I wanted to hear. And he's such a tender heart. He's passed now and gone to be with the Lord. But when he wouldn't stop, I knew what would stop him. I took his arm by the wrist and I forced his open hand against my face. And I said, when they fix that, we'll worry about the guitar. A few weeks ago, as I went in for my reconstructive surgery preparation, pre-op, for this hand, I met with my EMT doctor, and he said, Dave, we've gone as far as we can go. It's fixed to the best of our ability. I did not know that that day, my little beautiful little daughter-in-law was shopping out a guitar that through Sneaky, they found out what year and model that guitar was that Pat broke. And she found a used one of the same model and the same brand and the same vintage and bought it for me. I didn't know that. On the day, the doctor said, we've gone as far as we can go. And then a few days later, They do the surgery on my hand, and when they opened it up and saw there was nothing more could be done, they did all they could do. They closed it up Friday, bandaged it up, and sent me home with these last words. We've done all we can do. We have finished the process with your hand and your face. Dave, you look good. Congratulations. I went to eat, and my daughter-in-law and my son and my two grandsons showed up and handed me the guitar. On the day that they fixed this, they worried about that, and the guitar was the fulfillment of a prophecy because the second words that came out of my mouth after the grenade exploded and I jumped into the river, that fire would not be extinguished. Water will not extinguish phosphorus. When I crawled out, I was in horrible pain, I'm sure, but I couldn't feel it. So it's kind of like if the tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it actually make a sound? If you can't feel the pain, is it pain? Well, I didn't have any pain, but I knew I should have. But my brain was going into hallucinations from the trauma of a grenade exploding inches from my head. You know what I saw? My vision for the year 2020 fulfillment of 2020 vision. My vision was a guitar popped right up in front of me. And I looked at it, and this is an exact quote. Guitar, I'll play you again. That was an exact quote. Before I left the hospital at Brook Army Medical Center, where I was for a year and two months in the initial uh, repair of my damage, I played the guitar again. And the guitar I loved so much 
would be replaced on the day that the last word was said on Friday morning when my doc said, we've done all we can do, it's finished. That guitar was placed in my hands and I played that guitar again. Don't blame God if you are not willing to take that step of faith and turn your tragedy into triumph. Don't blame God. Out of your carnage can be somebody else's hope because you came through it. You didn't live in it. Don't stay in that place that is so easy to be comforted. The word comfort does not imply what we think. And this is my last word to you. And I gave my last word the last time I spoke a minute ago. So I'm closing my concluded closing. <laughs> when we comfort one another, I looked that word up. You know what it means? To encourage, to help them be sustained. And there's a picture, uh, a drawing of George Washington helping a wounded warrior, a wounded soldier, back onto his horse. And underneath, these are the words written, General Washington comforts a soldier. How do you call it comfort when you're putting a wounded man back on a horse? You should be taking him off the horse, putting him on a stretcher. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. The greatest healing doesn't come by getting on a stretcher. It comes by getting back on your horse. And you get back in the battle. Then you add worth to your sacrifice. And you don't quit because it costs too much to be there. And I'm here today to tell you, America, let's get back on our horse and quit looking for entitlements and the easy way out. Let's stand for what we believe in. Thank you.